Reach Freaks. Invisible Choir explores detailed depictions of violence and murder and is not appropriate for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. We can show that the head was actually cut off at the spinal column. Um, we have the uh, skull marks that, that indicate that. We never did find the skull, and at least at this point, we believe that that was discarded in some other location. Open Relationships. By now, we've all heard of the concept. It's 2023 after all, and if you haven't, perhaps you should consider getting with the times. Some of you may have even engaged in this brand of progressive yet undoubtedly complex romance yourselves, involving more than one partner in an intimate or romantic relationship. While everyone should be entitled to do as they please when it comes to their personal life, there's no denying that becoming romantically involved with multiple people might prove difficult or complex to say the least. Jealousy, feelings of inadequacy, these are just a few of the emotions one might experience in an open relationship. And even if you know what you are signing up for, that's only natural. We're not saying it can't work out, just that most times, perhaps 9 out of 10, it probably doesn't. In Columbus, Ohio, back in 2015, a group of young individuals decided to give this sort of arrangement a shot. But the end result was anything but positive. In fact, it produced the worst possible outcome regarding what can happen when four people decide to date each other simultaneously. Mercer County, Ohio, January 3rd, 2016. That Sunday afternoon, just after 2.30 p.m., a woman was walking her dog through the woods of West Bank State Park in Salina, Ohio. Somewhere along her usual route through the trails east of Route 127, the hiker came across something suspicious. Bones that appeared to be human. The discovery was made in some brush near the mouth of Coldwater Creek, and after notifying the police regarding the findings of possible human remains, Authorities arrived almost as fast as the news trucks did. Here at Coldwater Creek off of State Route 127 in Mercer County, where investigators tell us they got a call Sunday afternoon of someone reporting what appeared to be human remains. Preliminarily, the authorities thought the bones could in fact be human, but they could also have belonged to an animal. They just weren't sure yet. Crime scene units, unmarked police cruisers, and Mercer County Sheriff's vehicles soon descended upon the taped-off perimeter. By now, a blue tent had been erected where the Ohio Department of Natural Resources carefully examined the remains that were discovered. After that, the bones were then sent off to the Montgomery County Coroner's Office in Dayton, Ohio, as well as the University of North Texas. The coroner estimated that the bones were in fact human but still couldn't make a positive determination. Mercer County Sheriff Jeff Gray updated the public at a press conference during the very early stages of this investigation. Some of the bones that they saw out there um, that raised some suspicion uh, with, with deputies and with the coroner, um, just that, that we thought maybe we should look a little bit uh, deeper into it. 
While further testing was already underway, agents with the Criminal Investigation Bureau continued meticulously combing through the scene for any additional clues or evidence. Cadaver dogs were also brought in to aid in the search. Roughly one week later, the sheriff would hold another press conference, this time confirming that the bones found by a woman walking her dog were exactly what they thought they were all along. We have evidence that was recovered that leads us to believe that foul play um, was involved. Once forensic anthropologists were able to examine the bones, it was confirmed they were in fact human. And this case was now being treated as a homicide. With that said, there was still no indication of who this deceased individual actually was, mainly because all they had to go on was the majority of a human torso. The individual had been crudely cut at the elbows and at both knees. Saw marks on the bones indicated this individual had been dismembered, and the legs, arms, feet, hands, and head were never recovered at the scene. With the help of forensic science, investigators learned that the remains had been in that location for less than one year. The evidence and the remains were exposed to the elements, we believe, less than six months. So we're putting it sometime basically in 2015 um, that the body was placed. They were also able to determine that the victim was a male, someone ranging in height from 5 feet 7 inches tall to 6 foot 1, and that they were somewhere between the ages of 20 and 35 years old at the time they were killed. Of course, our hope will be that um, the person's DNA is loaded into that database and we'll be able to, to make a positive identification. The race of the victim was still unknown. Also, there were no missing persons reported in the Mercer County database at the time. Some of the bones were then sent to the BCI lab in London, Ohio for DNA analysis and later to a lab at ISO Forensics, a research and isotope analysis company located in Salt Lake City, Utah. By July of 2017, ISO Forensics was able to narrow down where the deceased had been living over the course of about the last 10 years. This was done through a process called phenotyping, which uses factors such as water, air, and overall changes in the environment to help dictate where a person has lived geographically. The isoforensics test produced a blip on the scan so small that at first, they thought it was a mistake. Originally, it was thought to be a dot of ink due to a printing error when it was first examined. However, that dot was no mistake and would wind up being crucial to identifying just who this victim was. The mark indicated that the deceased male had once lived in Corbin, Kentucky, roughly four and a half hours south of where the bones were discovered. This information was promptly relayed back to authorities, where a forensic analyst for the Ohio Bureau of Criminal Investigation, Jennifer Lester, would later be credited for quite literally connecting the dots. Lester spearheaded the investigation by cross-referencing the missing persons logs from Corbin, Kentucky, and surrounding areas between 2015 and 2016, the period in which the unidentified person was believed to have been killed in comparison to the time their remains were discovered. Ultimately, the cross-comparison led investigators to a young man named Ryan Zimmerman, a 22-year-old who disappeared in the fall of 2015, falling directly within that theorized timeline. They learned that Ryan had moved out of his parents' home in Corbin, Kentucky, to Columbus, Ohio, months before that August. 
Missing. Ryan Zimmerman, age 22, 6 foot 3 inches tall, 160 pounds. Possibly seen in Dayton, Ohio and Taylor, Missouri on November 24th. He may be hitchhiking. If anyone has seen him, please contact me, Vicki Zimmerman, on Facebook. You can also contact Detective Williams. Ryan left the house that summer after telling his mother, Vicki, that he was moving in with some friends he met online. And that was the last time she ever saw him. But the last day they spoke was on September 25th, 2015. Two days later, on the 27th, Ryan's father got a call from the Columbus, Ohio police. They said that his son Ryan's vehicle had been impounded at the tow yard and that someone needed to come pick it up. Ryan's father tried to contact his son, but to no avail. Less than two months later, he was officially reported missing on November 17, 2015. It wasn't long before investigators met with Ryan Zimmerman's parents. They couldn't be 100% sure, but once the parents provided their own DNA sample, they would finally gain a sense of closure. By June of 2020, four years after the skeletal remains were first discovered, investigators finally had a positive match, and the bones found in the woods of Salina, Ohio back in 2016 were officially identified. After nearly four years, a family is getting closer to closure. Earlier today, the Mercer County Sheriff's Department in Ohio released the identity of human remains found back on January 3rd, 2016. The victim, 22-year-old Ryan Zimmerman. Even though they knew who the victim was, investigators were now faced with the task of finding Ryan's killer. Several warrants were obtained, including seizures on all of his electronic devices, as well as his social media accounts. Authorities wanted to know who he'd been communicating with online leading up to his disappearance, and perhaps more importantly, who these people were that he moved in with just before he went missing. The Mercer County Sheriff's Department in Ohio ultimately learned that Ryan did move into a Columbus apartment just as his parents had said. Through his online communications, they found that he'd become roommates with three other individuals. A man named Corey Buzzard, Corey's wife Sarah Buzzard, and a transgender woman named Naira Jenna Whitaker. All three had since moved out of that apartment years before, but in early August of 2021, a search warrant was obtained for that very residence. Even years later, forensic specialists were still able to determine that Ryan Zimmerman was more than likely killed and dismembered inside of that home as a vast amount of Ryan's DNA was still present there, most notably in the bathtub. This episode is proudly brought to you by Honey Love. All right, ladies, listen up. This summer has quickly evolved from hot girl summer to hot, sweaty, pit, stanky girl summer because, well, it's hot out there. And frankly, it's time to upgrade your bras that use uncomfortable underwire and bulky fabrics that trap heat. That's where Honey Love comes in. Honey Love bras feature supportive bonding that eliminate the need for underwire without sacrificing lift. My wife absolutely loves them. You guys, in her words, the cool, smooth fabric is a game changer on a hot summer day. In fact, their bras are so comfortable, you'll forget you're wearing them and you may even sleep in them. My wife is also loving that Honey Love shapewear because unlike the others she's tried, she can actually move in Honey Love shapewear and it doesn't feel like it's suffocating her. Treat yourself to the best shapewear on the market and save 20% off at honeylove.com slash choir. Use our exclusive link to get 20% off at honeylove.com forward slash choir. 
cinched, snatched, and lifted. It's hot girl season thanks to Honey Love. This episode is also proudly brought to you by Rocket Money. Okay, so have any of you guys gotten those emails lately, the the ones that start with, Dear loyal customer, for the first time in several years, we're raising our subscription price. And then you realize, wait, I pay for a subscription to them? Yeah, me too, and many times over. And that's why I use and absolutely love Rocket Money. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps you lower your bills all in one place. Seriously, in today's subscription economy, this is something worth looking into. Most people think they're spending about 80 bucks a month on subscriptions, when in reality, the number on average is actually closer to 200. When you're signed up for so many things, like streaming services you use to watch that one show, or free trials for delivery you didn't actually use, it's so easy to lose track of what you're paying for. And that's one of the reasons I love Rocket Money is that each and every month I can actually see upcoming charges. It'll tell me what the recurring amounts are and what day of the month they're expected to come out of the bank. So there's no surprises. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions and manage your money the easy way by going to rocketmoney.com slash invisible. That's rocketmoney.com slash invisible. Rocketmoney.com slash invisible. Investigators also tracked down the vehicle that belonged to Ryan's roommate, Sarah Buzzard, at the time he went missing. They learned that Sarah's 2007 silver Toyota Corolla was traded into a used car dealership. The dealership then sold the car to someone else who the police eventually made contact with. This person was not involved in the crime and did not know the parties in question. Unfortunately for that individual, he had just purchased a car that was more than likely involved in a homicide. After surprising the owner of that car with the news, and after it was searched, investigators found even more crucial evidence, including Ryan Zimmerman's blood. This discovery led investigators to believe that Ryan's remains had at one point been transported inside of that vehicle when his roommate Sarah Buzzard owned it back in 2015. Authorities also found out that Sarah Buzzard and her husband, Corey, filed for divorce in November of that same year. Just two weeks after their separation was made legal, Sarah Buzzard married Naira Whitaker, the other roommate, in January of 2016. Oddly enough, Sarah and Naira were married the same month Ryan Zimmerman's remains were discovered in the woods. The newlyweds had since moved to Marion, Indiana, Sarah Buzzard's hometown. Her ex-husband, Corey, had been living in North Carolina by this point and was the first of the group to be interviewed by police. Because it was out of their jurisdiction, the Mercer County Sheriff's Department in Ohio began working in conjunction with Grand County in Indiana, which is how they were ultimately able to connect with Sarah Buzzard and Naira Whitaker. It didn't take long for authorities to find out where Sarah and Naira lived. After a warrant was signed by a judge, 30-year-old Sarah Elizabeth Buzzard was arrested for suspicion of murder. She was taken into custody at her home located at 520 West Kem Road in Marion, Indiana. That very same day, on Wednesday, August 25th, 2021, Sarah's wife, Naira, was still being interviewed at their residence by police. With five police officers in the room, Naira was eventually informed that she too was to be placed under arrest for suspicion of murder. But before police could even put the handcuffs on her, she pulled out a handgun from her purse and shot herself. 
33-year-old Naira Whitaker died at the scene from a self-inflicted gunshot wound, having committed suicide just seconds before police were to arrest her. A bizarre twist in a five-year-old homicide investigation in Mercer County, Ohio, that began with the discovery of skeletal remains on a wooded trail. Now, one woman is behind bars in connection with this case tonight, and police also say another woman took her own life as officers prepared to take her into custody. As the home in Marion, Indiana was being searched, one of Sarah and Naira's neighbors was interviewed by local media. The poor woman's facial expression is one of utter disbelief. And rightfully so. I'm just shocked that something like, something like this had happened. Because she was very friendly, and very talkative. But the other girl was that has killed herself, she was very quiet. She didn't say much of anything. Sarah Buzzard was charged with four counts of tampering with evidence, one count of grand theft auto, and two counts of abuse of a corpse. The following day on August 26, 2021, Mercer County Sheriff Jeff Gray held a press conference to announce that at least one of Ryan Zimmerman's killers was finally behind bars. I want to thank the public for their patience. This was a very complicated and unusual case that took many twists and turns. But I got to say, my detectives never gave up. This case is about five and a half years old from when we found out about it, and roughly about six years old from when Brian lost his life. The court process is going to begin now, and we're going to do our best to give Brian Zimmerman and his family the justice and the closure they deserve. I wish I could give them Ryan back, but there's no way to do that, so this is the best we can do for them. Immediately following her arrest, 30-year-old Sarah Buzzard confessed to helping her wife, Naira, strangle, murder, and dismember Ryan Zimmerman in September of 2015. After detectives brought her a fresh cup of coffee, Sarah Buzzard would sit down for her first formal police interview on August 28, 2021. I just, I don't know what your thoughts are on the easiest way to, to get through this. Um, obviously, it's, it's not going to be something easy to speak about. Um, so we obviously want to make it as simple and comfortable for you as possible. Not only would she make a full recorded confession, but she would also provide detectives with an in-depth background of how the disturbing plot to kill Ryan Zimmerman actually came to be. As a quick disclaimer, the relationships between the individuals involved are complex. And we'll let Sarah Buzzard explain in her own words, but we'll also provide some context before she dives in. In 2014, Sarah was married to Corey. Sarah then met Naira online that same year, who she refers to as Jen for the first half of this interview. Naira, also known as Jen, was transgender. Sarah and Naira began dating and were later married sometime down the road. Still with us? I hope so, because that's not even the confusing part. For now, all you need to know is that Naira is Jen, and Corey, Sarah, and Naira were all very fluid with their sexuality, to say the least. So, I first met Jen around, uh, I think, late June-ish, um, 2014, uh, on a dating site, mm-hmm. and um, Corey, my husband at the time, was going to be involved um 
he knew about it, but uh, he said that he wouldn't try to insert himself in the relationship. Um, so she and I would meet up for movies at my apartment until around uh, the third date when uh, we went, we became uh, in a sexual relationship. Mm-hmm. Around that time, I learned from her that she was transgender. Once Sarah Buzzard's husband, Corey, found out that Naira was trans, he was intrigued. When Corey found out, he really tried to insert himself into the relationship because he had this personal philosophy that a perfect relationship involved a man, a woman, and a transgendered individual. According to Sarah, Corey was originally fixated on having a threesome with her and another woman. Somewhere down the line, that fantasy evolved into wanting that third companion to be a transgender individual. Naira was supposed to move into Sarah and Corey's Columbus, Ohio apartment. But when she arrived and found out that Corey wanted to hook up with her, she wasn't interested, as Naira only had the hots for Sarah. And not long after Naira arrived in Columbus, she left again, back to her hometown in Massachusetts. This was back in February of 2015. According to Sarah, she didn't say much as to why she was leaving, but Sarah believed it had something to do with filing for a legal name change. In Naira's absence, Corey began trying to recruit a different trans woman online to fulfill his newfound fantasy. This is where Ryan Zimmerman enters the picture. Ryan was a biological male, but was exploring his gender identity. He'd been researching hormone therapy as well as voice training. Ryan also began wearing women's clothing around this time and expressed interest in gender affirmation surgery in the near future. In the spring of 2015, Ryan posted a sexually-themed Craigslist ad and Corey responded. In the ad, Ryan stated that he was seeking a romantic relationship where he would be the, quote, submissive female. This was right up Corey Buzzard's alley. Based on impressions created online, Ryan seemed to be exactly what Corey was looking for. So in April of 2015, he proposed the idea of having Ryan move in to his wife, Sarah. However, Sarah wasn't exactly into the idea. We argued constantly for the entire month because I always felt like he needed this other person to make up for traits that I lacked and that really, really hurt. And he was expecting me to kind of not not fall in love but become infatuated with with Ryan when I first met him and everything would be perfect. After weeks of going back and forth about this new person coming into their lives as well as their home, Sarah eventually begrudgingly agreed, but under a series of conditions. Ryan was to stay in the spare bedroom on the second floor. He would chip in for rent and he would buy his own groceries. Also, after three months, Ryan would no longer be allowed to live in the home. By then, he had to have a job and his own apartment. Sarah made it clear that the living arrangement was temporary, and Corey and Ryan would still be allowed to date after that three-month period. But those were Sarah's rules. I told Corey that if the relationship he was pursuing with him was going well, Ryan could still be around to see him, but I didn't want him staying in the house the whole time. That sounds fair. Yeah. She told the detectives that she spoke to Ryan once on the internet before he moved in. It was during that conversation Sarah decided she didn't like him before she had even met him. 
I did not like him. He was extremely subservient to the point where I found it extremely annoying. Um, like I was asking him, you know, what are your hobbies? What what do you like to do? And he said, oh, I like to, to draw. And I told him, oh, I have a degree in that. I'd love to help you. He said, oh, no, uh, I'll never be good enough. So I, I understand that the family, his family, um, I, I could see why he had that kind of personality. But I didn't like it. Uh, and I let Corey know that I said, uh, I, I didn't see what he looked like. Um, I don't know if Corey had gotten pictures, but I never got one. And I said, I don't think I'm going to like him when he comes, but I will still give him the chance to at least have somewhere to stay until he gets on his feet. At some point around mid-May of 2015, Naira, also known as Jen, returned to Columbus from Massachusetts a few months before Ryan was to arrive. Naira was planning on staying long-term and set up a makeshift bedroom in the living room. On August 6, 2015, Ryan moved in and met his boyfriend, Corey, and two other roommates, Sarah and Naira, for the very first time. But just like Sarah, Naira disliked Ryan almost immediately, arguably even more so. She did not like him at all from the beginning. Uh, she would make comments like, he was a disgusting person, the world would be better off without him. She just absolutely loathed him. Naira didn't like Ryan because, according to Sarah, anyway, he would sit at the top of the steps and eavesdrop on their conversations. Despite this fact, the group remained largely cordial, at least for the time being. So, uh, Naira, Jen, kept to herself. She stayed in the living room primarily, didn't really interact with Corey or Ryan, if she could help it, mm-hmm. um, unless we were all in the kitchen um, during mealtimes. Um, I bounced back from staying with her, going to work, and then sometimes staying up in the office with Corey, uh, because that's where my desk was. Mm-hmm. I also tried not to interact with Ryan as much as possible, but I was a little bit more open if he had questions. Um, and then Ryan stayed in his room primarily all the time. Um, and then Corey would bounce between hanging out in Ryan's room, staying in the office, uh, or going to school. So we all kind of had a uncomfortable but functioning relationship. Mm-hmm. Eventually, it wasn't just Naira and Sarah who didn't like Ryan. Corey began to feel the same. When he first moved in, he was buying his own groceries and paying his share of the rent per their agreement. However, anytime a job interview was scheduled, Sarah claimed that Ryan failed to show up. He had not tried to hold up his end of the deal. He had scheduled several job interviews and never went to a single one because he was convinced that he was just going to get rejected, so why bother? Naira didn't have a job either, but I guess that's neither here nor there. Regardless, Corey eventually decided to break things off with Ryan, or so he told his wife Sarah. During her interrogation, Sarah Buzzard explained to detectives that Ryan Zimmerman became a strain on both her and Corey's marriage, as well as her side relationship with Naira. She may have even provided a little too much information during this interview. Part of it was he discovered that Ryan had, I think it was genital herpes. I think um, it was some kind of herpes because uh, and I don't know exactly what went on between the two of them, so I don't know how he found out or if Ryan told him or, or something, mm-hmm. but he, 
that was kind of the last straw for him because Ryan wasn't what he expected or wanted um, because he wasn't able to start any sort of hormone therapy or see a psychiatrist for it. Mm -hmm. um, he was physically male, very much so. And I don't think that's what Corey expected. From what Sarah is saying during the interview, it seems as though Ryan may have been having second thoughts about taking the next step toward transitioning and becoming a woman. Apparently, this upset Corey because, in his eyes, that was the sole purpose of why Ryan was there in the first place, to fulfill his sexual desires. To alleviate himself from the situation, Corey made plans to meet with a different woman who was visiting from Athens, Ohio. And on Friday, September 25th, 2015, Corey checked into a hotel in downtown Columbus. But before he left, he made Ryan Zimmerman aware that he was no longer welcome in their home. He did not want Ryan there anymore. He had told him that he wanted him to pack up and leave before Corey came back. Mm -hmm. um, and then he left uh, to go to the, the hotel. Corey said he'd be back in two days on the 27th. Sarah told detectives that while he was away, Naira began making comments about wanting to kill Ryan. On the morning of the 26th, Naira started uh, voicing some plan about killing him. Naira Whitaker had a pretty sick sense of humor. She'd often say things like, quote, I wonder what would happen if we drove that cyclist off the road while driving in her car with Sarah and would make jokes about shooting people just for kicks. At first, Sarah didn't take her seriously, but throughout the course of that day, she began getting more specific in terms of how she wanted to do it. She was trying to figure out the best way to to kill him without alerting anyone. Um, she didn't want to shoot him because that would be loud, that would be messy, and uh, it would draw attention. At one point, Sarah went upstairs to get something out of her office. That's when she found a note addressed to her from Ryan. Ryan had left a note uh, propped up on the staircase banister asking to talk to me. And I really didn't want to talk to him um, because I just wanted him to, to go. Um, so then I went back downstairs. And then later on, when I went to use the bathroom as I was exiting, he stuck his head out of his room and said, can I talk to you? So I, I finally did. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Have you ever had one of those extremely long days and been so tired at night, but the minute you lay your head on that pillow, your mind begins racing a million miles per minute? Yeah, me too. I've been there. I've worked some high-profile jobs over the last decade or two, and I know what it's like to be constantly overwhelmed and battling your own mind. But did you know one of the best ways to make those racing thoughts go away entirely or slow down is to talk them through? Therapy gives you a place to do that so you can get out those negative thought cycles and find some mental and emotional peace. Like I know what it's like. I started having those racing thoughts back in July of 2018 after a tragedy occurred where I was working at the time. And though I didn't realize that initially, I got stuck in that trauma loop that negative mindset and could not get out until I started therapy. 
Regardless of your situation, if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and is suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. Get a break from your thoughts with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash choir today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash choir. BetterHelp. This episode is also proudly brought to you by Fabric by Gerber Life. You know, every time I look at a picture of my children from the past few months or even the past year, I can't help but wonder in amazement how quickly they're growing up. And then it hits me like a sack of bricks. That means I'm getting older. All of us are. And it also means that planning for my family's financial security in the future is a very real priority, including making sure we have adequate life insurance in place in the event something happens unexpectedly one day and takes one of us out of the picture. Fabric was designed by parents for parents to help you get a high-quality, surprisingly affordable term life insurance policy in less than 10 minutes. And they have flexible policies that fit your family and your budget, with quality policies like a million dollars in coverage for less than a dollar a day. So, join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in just minutes at meetfabric.com slash invisible. That's meetfabric.com slash invisible. M-E-E-T fabric.com slash invisible. Policies issued by Western Southern Life Assurance Company. Not available in certain states. Prices subject to underwriting and health questions. During this interaction, Sarah sat on the hallway floor, just outside of the upstairs bathroom, as she listened to Ryan plead his case. He begged her to let him stay. Clearly, Sarah had a little sympathy and told him it was Corey who wanted him gone. He just, he just wanted a second chance. But I told him, look, I'm, I'm sorry that Corey said that and that he wanted you to leave before your three-month period. But if that's what he wants, then I'm going to stand by it. Plus, I pointed out, you haven't tried to go to any of your job interviews. Ryan was upset, but understood and eventually agreed to leave. He was mentally preparing to pack his belongings, and things could have ended right there. Sarah Buzzard and Naira Whitaker could have let Ryan leave, but they didn't. When Sarah told Naira about the conversation she had just had with Ryan upstairs, that's when things took a turn for the worst. So then I left, I went back downstairs, and I filled in Naira on what he had told me, and that's when she went back to fleshing out her plan. I still didn't take her seriously, but I was starting to get worried because of how intricate it was getting. Um, and then when she started gathering tools like uh, trash bags, bleach, um, the handsaw from the shed, uh, I realized she was serious. Sarah claims she became hysterical once she saw Naira gathering a handsaw and cleaning supplies. She told the detectives that Naira was the mastermind and manipulated her into helping out with this new plan. And she told me that if I didn't help, that she was going to do it anyway and that it was going to be a lot messier and a lot harder to get everything done by herself and that Corey would probably come home before she was finished. She claims that Naira eventually convinced her to join in by assigning her a lesser role. Sarah was to strangle Ryan while Naira handled the rest. However, it didn't end up working out that way. When she was asked why she didn't run for help after learning that Naira was actually going to follow through with killing Ryan Zimmerman, 
Sarah's answer was nothing short of astounding. It was because I loved her. Um, I knew that she wasn't a good person. I knew that she was kind of borderline sociopathic. She liked to manipulate people, uh, including me, early in our relationship. But she was the only person who had been there for me um, through everything that Corey had put me through. And she was the first person that I actually felt like cared about me, maybe not so much at this point in our relationship, but later on, uh, she was fiercely loyal to me. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't want to lose her. That was that. It was now settled. An impromptu plan to kill their roommate conceived that very day. While Corey was away at the hotel, they were going to kill Ryan Zimmerman. Late at night, the evening of September 26, 2015, Sarah and Naira hid in the upstairs office and waited until Ryan exited the bathroom. But before he did, Naira soaked a rag with bleach and vinegar. She had apparently done her research and knew that inhaling these two chemicals together could potentially be fatal. Just then, Ryan stepped into the hallway and the two women attacked him. I jumped on him from behind, uh, put him in a headlock and pulled him down to the floor with my body weight so... Um, I could hold him uh, while Naira came and straddled him and then press the rag over his face. Eventually, Ryan Zimmerman stopped resisting. When he started making these guttural gasping noises, um, Naira let me get out from under him and I curled up in the office and cried. Um, I didn't want to look at her or him. I, I, uh, I wish that I didn't have to do it, but it was done, and I was so scared and horrified, but it wasn't, I, I didn't stop, I didn't stop her, I didn't. After Sarah retreated to the office, she closed the door behind her and covered her ears. Naira began wrapping duct tape around Ryan's face and mouth in the hallway to ensure that he couldn't breathe. And then, at approximately 1.09 a.m., Sarah searched the term jugular from her phone. What she says happened next is beyond gruesome. I stayed in the office for a while until she did get him in the bathtub and she had put a trash bag over his head and severed it and then put that into the freezer so that she could deal with it later. Um... And she started using the handsaw to take off his hands and feet at the at the joint. Um, and at that time, because I, his face, I didn't have to see his face anymore, I came out to help. And she gave me his clothes, uh, instructed me to put it in trash bag um, while she worked. Um, and... After, I'm not sure how much time passed, it felt like maybe an hour, mm-hmm. um, she started to get intestinal cramps, um, so she went to lie down and said I had to take over. Uh, so I put the hands in one bag, or no, um, the hands and the feet she told me to put in a bag, and then she also put it in the freezer for later because she said those would be the two big identifying factors and she would have to deal with them separately. Um, so I removed the, the forearms and the calves at the joints um, 
and it was slow, exhausting work, um, and I did not work fast enough. Um, her original idea was to cut up everything into as small of manageable pieces as possible and then uh, dispose of them that way, but we didn't have enough time to do that, so we just had the head, hand and feet, the forearms went in one bag, the calves went in another bag, and then we just had to deal with the torso. After taking shifts, dismembering 22-year-old Ryan Zimmerman's body with a handsaw in the bathtub, Naira eventually came back into the upstairs bathroom with a large Tupperware bin. The two women then began loading his body parts into trash bags and then into the tote. They stored the tools, rags, and gloves that were used to kill Ryan in that bin as well. His head, hands, and feet remained in the freezer, hidden behind some frozen vegetables, until they figured out what to do with them. Naira proceeded to hastily clean the bathroom. She told Sarah she would conduct a more thorough cleaning later, but for now they had to hurry, as Corey was expected home soon. The two then loaded the heavy plastic tote of remains into the back of Ryan Zimmerman's car. In the midst of all of this, Naira had already made arrangements for her and Sarah. She messaged a friend online who purchased them two Greyhound bus tickets in Illinois. Sarah Buzzard then reveals the next step of the plan during her interrogation. Once we got the bin into Ryan's car, that's when she told me uh, our plan was to drive to Illinois, uh, leave the car somewhere deserted, and uh, use those tickets to come back to Columbus. They were to dispose of Ryan's body along the way, discarding the trash bags wherever they deemed appropriate. However, when they stopped for gas after they'd just gotten on the road, Ryan's car wouldn't start, with all of his remains still there in the vehicle. I did everything I could think of, and we couldn't get it to start, so we had to call the tow truck and have it bring it back to the apartment complex. Clearly, not much planning went into this horrific endeavor. After calling for a tow truck, the pair then asked the driver to drop Ryan's car on the side road near their apartment. After they arrived back home, Naira instructed Sarah to pull her own car around so they could transfer the large container of body parts into the silver 2007 Toyota Corolla. And when I brought it up alongside, she took some of his belongings out of his trunk, mm-hmm. um, put them in my car, uh, took off the license plates, um, and just rummaged around and tried to find anything that needed to be taken, mm-hmm. um, and then we moved the bin into the backseat of my car. And we left his car there and started driving again to Illinois. Naira stole Ryan's wallet, his Nintendo Wii U handheld console, as well as an external hard drive from his computer. Sarah told detectives she believes Naira sold the electronics at a later date, but couldn't be sure. Once it got dark, um, Naira would randomly pick exits for me to turn off on, and we would drive around trying to find uh, dumpsters that were open and um, unsupervised, and we would throw one of the bags in it and then get back on the highway and keep going. Sure. After many trials and tribulations, the two finally began taking highway exits, throwing trash bags of body parts, clothing, and the materials used in the murder into random gas station dumpsters. Eventually, there was just one bag left, the one containing Ryan Zimmerman's torso. We just had the torso left, 
Um, but at that point, we had both been awake for 36-some hours, so I kept falling asleep at the wheel, and I told her, uh, I, I can't keep driving. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's when we found the, the wooded area here, um, dumped the torso, and turned around and started driving back to Columbus. Sarah and Naira abandoned their trip to Illinois just before reaching the state border. Sarah told detectives she needed to keep pulling over on country back roads to sleep on their way home before getting back on the road toward Columbus. At around 2 a.m. the morning of September 28th, they finally arrived back home, and Corey was already there. Corey was waiting for us in the kitchen. He didn't suspect anything, but he was angry that I had turned off my phone Mm -hmm. um, because he tried to text me to see where I was. Um, So he was furious that he didn't know where we were. When Corey asked where Ryan was, the women said he'd moved out, just like he had requested. Sarah Buzzard didn't say much else. Exhausted, she and Naira fell asleep together that morning in the living room, while frost began to form over Ryan's head, feet, and hands there in their freezer. The day after the murder, Sarah went to her job at Barnes & Noble. Corey went to school and Naira cleaned out the bloody plastic bin. By the halfway point of her interrogation, neither detective had yet asked Sarah Buzzard a single question. They simply sat and listened to her explain these horrific details in a calm and collected manner throughout. Finally, one of the detectives does ask what they ended up doing with the remaining body parts. Sarah confessed that at some point after the murder, she drove Naira to Lowe's to purchase a bag of lime. The purpose? To remove the flesh from Ryan's skull. The head, she got um, this uh, soup pot and made some kind of lye mixture and put the head in it, um, partially because it was kind of a trophy for her, but also because she didn't know the best way to dispose of it yet. Mm-hmm. She put it in the soup bin, put that in a bag or several bags, put the pieces of the hands and feet also in the bag and then kept bagging it up and we put it in the shed for the time being. Two months after Ryan Zimmerman went missing, Corey and Sarah filed for divorce and everyone moved out of the Columbus, Ohio apartment by that winter. Sarah and Naira then moved in with Sarah's mother temporarily. Sometime later, the two got their very first apartment together in Pennsylvania, eventually got married, and later moved to Indiana, where they would ultimately be caught in 2021. Each time they relocated, Sarah and Naira brought the bin filled with Ryan's hands, feet, and skull along with them. Sarah confessed that after the smell of rotten flesh quickly became unbearable, they purchased a vacuum sealer. This was done to mitigate the stench, but also preserve what was left of the feet, hands, and head of their 22-year-old victim, Ryan Zimmerman. Sarah also said that her mother was in need of food-safe bags around this time, so whatever they had left over, they mailed to Sarah's mother. How thoughtful. Mercer County Sheriff Jeff Gray never did announce whether or not these remains were found at Sarah and Naira's last known residence. However, during her interrogation, she did mention that police informed her that they had found Ryan's skull, with partial strands of duct tape still intact. Where that skull was located exactly remains unclear. For roughly six years, Sarah Buzzard and Naira Whitaker were able to live a happy life together 
Orion Zimmerman's parents woke up every day wondering where their son was. After they had killed him, the murderous couple checked the news periodically to see if there were any developments in the case. And finding the torso months after the murder gave them a scare. But there wasn't much news after that, and their anxiety lessened over time. Sarah and Naira eventually thought the case may have gone cold. But in the event that it had not, Naira had a plan. If the day ever did come where the two were caught, they promised each other that they would die together before ever serving a day in prison. We made a suicide pact that um, should something go wrong or we get discovered that she was going to shoot me first and then kill herself um, because she said she would rather die than spend her life in prison. Um, especially since at the time uh, she was still anatomically male so she said that she would probably have to go to the male prison and that was that was a death sentence in itself because she um, she was very very feminine mm-hmm. Sarah didn't want to die but she loved Naira so she agreed to the pact when police came knocking at their door it's unclear if Naira didn't have the heart to kill Sarah or if there simply wasn't enough time to shoot her and then herself. Whichever the case may be, Sarah described to detectives next what she remembers about their final moments together before Naira raised the gun to her own head and pulled the trigger. When I said goodbye to her, I could see it in her face that she knew. Mm -hmm. And when um, the officer that the Marion police department told me what happened um i wasn't surprised but it's so hard sure you just use the real okay thank you okay sarah buzzard's ex-husband Corey was never charged with a crime according to law enforcement he had no knowledge of the murder of ryan zimmerman and was not believed to have been involved in any way when he was first interviewed at his home in north carolina Corey said that at the time he believed what sarah and naira had told him that Ryan had simply moved out and moved on with his life. How Corey didn't know that a human skull, feet, and hands remained there in his freezer, well, that's an entirely different debate for another day. Sarah Buzzard's charges were eventually upgraded to 18 total charges, including two counts of felony murder. However, on December 23, 2021, she pleaded guilty to one count of aggravated murder as part of a plea deal. The second count of aggravated murder was subsequently dropped along with the 16 other felony charges. Most significantly, Sarah Buzzard would avoid the death penalty as a mechanism of her agreement. Prior to sentencing on January 20, 2022, the defendant was granted the opportunity to address the court aloud, as well as Ryan Zimmerman's family directly. Not a day goes by that I do not wish for a chance to take it all back. I accept responsibility for the role I played in Ryan's death, and I will live every day of the rest of my life attempting to redeem myself through positive actions and deeds. Ryan Zimmerman's sister, Amanda Moore, appeared remotely in court to read her victim impact statement, expressing the great loss their family had suffered in the wake of this vicious tragedy. My kids will never know their uncle Ryan. They'll never get to talk to him and see the similarities that I see that they have with him. They'll never get to play those games with him, and they would have all loved that so much. 
That same day, 30-year-old Sarah Buzzard would officially learn her fate. 30-year-old Sarah Buzzard was sentenced to life in prison for the death of 21-year-old Ryan Zimmerman. She was given life with the possibility of parole after 30 years. In the event that she is released someday, she will then be required to report to the parole board for five years under state-mandated supervision. If her parole is violated, Buzzard faces the chance of being thrown directly back in prison for the rest of her life, which, according to Ryan Zimmerman's family, is right where she belongs. Ryan Zimmerman was born and grew up in Mississippi. He enjoyed video games, computers, and watching movies with his older brother Randy. The two of them remained close right up until he left for Columbus in 2015. Randy had no way of knowing that he'd never see his brother again when he left Kentucky. He spoke with local news just weeks after Sarah Buzzard's sentencing. Someone obviously, you know, took advantage of his heart. And um, I just really, through all of this, you know, I want to be able to celebrate him. He searched out to people he didn't even know. Like, he's just searching for someone to fill a void inside of him. Randy said that he didn't think much of Ryan relocating to Columbus back then. But he can't help but wonder what his brother was going through before he left. I didn't think much of it at the time. And and I guess, um, you know, I guess it just makes me think that, you know, at the end of the day, he was probably struggling at that moment. Ryan Zimmerman was a young person trying to navigate through life the best way he knew how. He was learning who he was, but before he could get there, his life was tragically taken from him. This crime is one of the more senseless and equally horrifying cases we've ever covered. One can only hope that if and when Sarah Buzzard is released from prison, the public is made well aware. Because by the time she's 60 years old, who knows? She very well could wind up being one of your neighbors. But let's hope not. Until next time, thanks for listening. Thank you.